Crippled Content Creations presents Disability After Dark, the podcast shining a bright light on sex and disability, with your host, Andrew Gerza. Disability After Dark, with Andrew Gerza, shining a bright light on sex and disability. Content warning. The language, content, and discussion found within this episode of Disability After Dark will be explicit. Listener discretion advised. Hello, hello there, and welcome to episode 101 of Disability After Dark, the podcast shining a bright light on sex and disability. How are you, friends? Thank you so much for clicking on this brand new episode of the show. I am still jet-lagged over my trip last week. I went to Los Angeles to do a very special top-secret thing that I can't even really talk about, but I am so excited for you to hear about that. I am excited that we are on episode 101. Holy fuck, how do we even get here? This is great. I also want to let you know that I looked at our stats the other day of this little show that I do for my apartment in Toronto, and I discovered that we are almost at 70,000 downloads. Now, this is a big achievement because last year at this time, we were only at 13,000 downloads, so we have jumped a whole bunch, and it's because people like you listen to the show and click on the show whenever it comes out, and you send in things for Minnesota, and you bring up things for ideas, and I cannot thank you enough for making yourselves a part of the show, and so the reviews that I've gotten from the show recently, some of the recent reviews that I've gotten have been fantastic from members of the disabled community who said the show has spoken to them, and the show's been important for them, and I am, I am so flabbergasted that that's even a thing that's happening, I can't even begin to tell you what that means, thank you so, so much. I've been also thinking about doing some stuff around, uh, some stuff around new Patreon perks, and what I want to do, and what I'm looking at doing is, I'm looking at getting, doing, like, writing my own little mini porno and putting it in as part of the, the Patreon perks that you sign up for when you go to patreon.com slash content. so... I am thinking of like writing a porno and doing a chapter once a week and writing one around disability and around sexuality. And if you, I guess if you were to sign up at the $5 mark or more, you get a peek at that um, because I think that'd be really fun and really something awesome to do. And I, I wanted to make it part of the regular shows, but I also want to give the Patreon pledgers to Disability After Dark something special just for them. So that's something that I'm going to be working on over the next little while to make that go for the show. Um, I'm also going to give the show a little update in terms of musical music stuff. I'm going to give the show a new look. We're going to have some new podcast art. There's a picture of me with a harness where it looks like I'm smiling, but actually I'm laughing. And I love that picture so much. So I have my friend, Glenn... He's going to do some mock-ups of podcast art for me that way. 
And in a few weeks, the show will have a new, a brand new sexy look to go along with the sexiness that is Disability After Dark. And the last little bit of news I want to share, the last little thing I want to kind of um, put out there in the world is that I am looking at doing a new show. If you've been following my social media on the Twitter at Andrew Gerza, you've seen me talk about how I want to create a show called On the D-List that looks at, at disability in the inter- entertainment world and looks at that kind of stuff. And it's something I tried to do the disability history pod, which I loved. I had one episode, but it just, that didn't, that wasn't feeling, I didn't know how to bring brevity into that. And I think, I think doing something around media because I love media and I'm a media whore doing something around media is a lot more kind of my jam. I I love history too, but it was really hard to make that interesting for a podcast and nobody fucking listened to it. So I had to let it die, but I want to try this media thing. So in a few weeks, there will be a new show around triple content um, on triple content creations called On the D-List. And it'll be a look at media, disability, and all that stuff. And we're going to look at movies. We're going to look at TV. We're going to look at news clips. We're going to look at all these things around the media. And we're also going to look at, uh, in that show, we're going to look at some of the history around disability at the time certain media things were coming out to kind of give it a, a little bit of a rounder feel so all that stuff's coming out and um but that's enough about all my shameless shameless plugs one last shameless plug before i get to hit before i do the show um i want to tell you all about the the sex toy thing i'm working on that's still happening we could still Use some donations with that. We want to create the first line of sex toys for disabled people, by disabled people. We are we are looking to raise $15,000 and we're getting closer with every donation. So if you want to head over to deliciouslydisabled.ca, click on the donate button. And if you can donate $5, $10 here or there, or if you are a disabled person and you're unable to donate financially, tell your friends. Spread it all over social media. Whatever you can do, we'd appreciate it. Um, Okay, but I've now shamelessly plugged you for five minutes. And um, now let's get to the show. So I'm not quite sure if I've mentioned my love of romantic comedies on the show before. I may have mentioned it in passing around other stuff we're doing. And I might have mentioned it here and there in some other episodes. But I feel like I should make a confession to you all. I love romantic comedies more than you could ever possibly understand. These kind of movies where boy meets girl, boy falls in love with girl, girl and boy break up and then get back together are literally my most favorite kind of movie ever. I'm, I'm all about like any Nora Ephron vehicle from the early 90s is literally my jam. And... Like, I've always been kind of obsessed with them since I was a little boy. That overpowering idea of romance for the ages has always tickled something inside me. Now, as I get older and I become more of a kinkster, I want somebody to use something on me to tickle something inside me, but that's a whole different episode. But when I was a young queer cripple of 14, 15, like 12 through 15, these types of films gave me one day that my romantic prince would come for me too. And sweep me off my feet and make me fall in love and, and gave me an idealistic version of what love and romance could be. 
I've always connected with the heroine of these stories, who always fell for the big, strong, burly muscle man. This was no surprise that this was a huge, giant foreshadowing of my queerness later in life. But my desire to be swept up and held by a big, strong man really hasn't changed much. Um, but the way I see the patriarchy, love, and romance of a disabled queer man certainly has changed the way that I look at some of these films now. So, I've reviewed other movies about sexuality and disability for the podcast in our 100 episodes so far, but I wanted to do something a little bit different this time around. I wanted to take one of the classic rom-coms from the 80s and 90s that I watched until my VCR. For you youngsters, a VCR is a thing where you would put big tapes and you would have to play them. That's how old I am. Definitely for sure that's a thing. I would put... So... I would watch these, I would put these rom-coms in my VCR until, until it wouldn't play them anymore, and I wanted to hypothesize what it might look like if one of the lead characters in the film were also disabled. This, like, never happens in real life, and still in 2018 is never happening, um, so I wanted to, just in an ideal world, look at how a disabled character might be treated in a class, if we just plunked if we plunked a disabled character in a classic rom- in a classic rom-com, how would they be treated and how how might things change? How might the story change? Where might ableism come into play here? Could having a disabled character enhance the storytelling? And I wanted to find this out. So I picked one of my favorite films from the 90s. The Meg Ryan, Tom Hanks classic, You've Got Mail. This movie, I have watched it a quadrillion times because I kind of love Meg Ryan, or at least I really was in love with 90s Meg Ryan. And I could quote every line from almost every movie she's ever done, but I wanted to see how d- disability might work here. And when I watched it previously, it's never something that I really considered, never something I really truly thought of, and I wanted to have a look at it. Now, if you've never seen You've Got Mail, it's a story about two people who fall in love over AOL Messenger, and it turns out they're business rivals, and so they're business rivals in the business world, and then they they fall in love, and it, it, there's a whole bunch of, like, millennial stuff that's happening that wasn't really talked about 20 years ago, it's like catfishing and fat shaming, and there's, like, there's a whole lot of stuff that is problematic. The movie was sweet for its time, but a lot of millennial... Sp- of millennials who reviewed the movie a couple years ago were like, whoa, this movie doesn't hold up and there are a lot of problems with it, for sure. Definitely there are. But I wanted to to kind of look at, like, not disregard all those problems, but think about how disability could play out here. Um, and I thought You've Got Mail was a great movie to look at because it focuses primarily on internet dating, which, as we know, as disabled people... Internet dating is one of the most accessible forums for us to meet somebody or fuck somebody or whatever it is we want to do. Internet dating and apps tend to be the way we do it now. So I wanted to see how disability might play out here. But I'm going to stop saying that because I've, I've said that like five times in the last two minutes. But let's get to the film. So what I'm going to do now is I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to put in the trailer, which for some reason has that like, has that, that mid-90s, like, horror movie guy in it, who's like, I, I watched the trailer yesterday, and it was like, but what these two people don't know is that they're gonna fall in love with each other, 
behind a screen or something ridiculous like that. I'll play the trailer and you'll hear the creepy 90s horror movie guy voice. And then we'll come back and we'll do the review and I'll make some notes, which you won't see. But I'll be doing that as I watch. And we'll go from there and we'll see how You've Got Mail would look differently if one of the characters had a disability. Right here on Disability After Dark. I turn on my computer. I go online. Welcome. Welcome. And my breath catches in my chest until I hear three little words. You've Got, got Mail. mail. What is going on with you? Is it infidelity if you're involved with someone on email? This woman is the most adorable creature I've ever been in contact with. Have you had sex? Of course not. I don't even know it. Mm, I mean cyber sex. No. Well, no, don't do it. Because the minute you do, they lose all respect for you. In a city where everyone's looking for someone, Joe and Kathleen have discovered the best way to meet someone. Is to never meet at all. We just email. It's really nothing. I don't know his name or what he does. Look, 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 look. Or where he lives exactly. What? He couldn't possibly be the rooftop killer. What they don't realize. What is that? What are you doing? You're taking all the caviar? That caviar is a garnish. Is they already have. Just Joe Fox. I'm in the book business. I am in the book business. What should I have said to a man who has made my professional life in misery? Tell me something, really. How do you sleep at night? Fight. Fight to the death. In life, they're at odds. She's beautiful, but she's a pill. Online, they're in love. Do you think we should meet? Meet? Oh, my God. I'm going to say hello, I'm going to have a cup of coffee, and then I'm going to split. That's what I'm going to do. Why am I even doing this? Why am I compelled to even meet her? Relax. You're just taking it to the next level. Huh. And I'm not going to say that long anyway. I already said that, didn't I? Yes, you did. No. He could be the next person to walk into the store. He could be... May I please come up? No, I don't really think that that is a good idea, because I have a terrible cold. So you see, I told you the 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 trailer for this movie some for some reason employed the creepy like horror movie like theater guy voice, which I'm still not sure why, but there it is. So let's dive right in the movie. Okay. So you've got mail. The very first scene of this movie is a really classic New York brownstone, one of those homes that was clearly built in like the eighteen hundreds or something with the, with like seventy five quadrillion bajillion uh stair steps stair steps yep that's a word uh and right right away from looking at it as soon as i saw that i was like oh anybody who was a wheelchair user or anybody with invisible or episodic disabilities that made walking or 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 doing any kind of upward motion difficult or impossible these kind of steps would be held so our lead for this movie would need a ramp or some sort of level home or they'd need to live in a in a condo type place or somewhere on the Upper West Side. Although, if that were true, they'd need to have a lot of money or something, which is, can be very rare when you're disabled. So, so yeah, 
just the steps and, and as pretty as the brownstone was and I, I realized that Nora Ephron wanted to like have iconic New York scenery here and make a point about that if this character was disabled um, that just would not could not fly and so in the second scene we meet Meg Ryan's character Kathleen Kelly she hops out of bed in the second scene almost right away she hops out of bed just as if it were nothing and immediately I was struck by, again, if she were disabled, she might need an attendant to get her out of bed. I say might because some people wouldn't, but she might also have joint pain. She might also, it might be really tough for her to get up. It might be a whole different number of scenes to encompass that one moment. So this thing that the actress did in two seconds, if they were disabled, would take two minutes. And again, when I'm talking about disability here, I mean... If this character was disabled in an ideal world, how would these scenes look? That's what I'm looking at here in, in doing in doing, in disabilifying this romantic comedy, if you will. So then, Kathleen Kelly, Meg's Ryan character, casually sits down and hops on the internet. We hear the classic dial-up sounds from '98, and I think it's a really cute scene because she like sits down in her pajamas and like gets on the internet as most people do but I think if she were disabled and I'm using my disability of CP as a wheelchair user as a baseline here she'd need her attendant or her family member or her partner to to help her set it up and I always did when I did this and this always took more time I'd have to ask somebody to like set up the internet for me so I could go on dial-up in 98 and I'd have to be like, hey, Dad, can I use the internet? And it was a whole thing. And in 1998, when I was trying to do all that and look at porn on Netscape, I'd have to have my dad set it up and, and it took forever. The whole kind of ritual of getting the keyboard in the right position, making sure I could type, getting the mouse all set up. It really wasn't easy to connect with, to connect on the internet in the 90s when you were, when you were disabled. Especially if, and this happened to me all the time when I was looking at porn, especially if the cord came out, you remember the telephone cord that you would use to connect? If that cord came out of the computer and nobody was home and you were in the middle of a porn scene, and this happened to me a number of times, I'd be in the middle of watching porn after my dad left to go do something, and the cord would come undone and there would be, there would be porn scenes, that somehow he never found out, but there were porn scenes paused on my on my family computer of me watching dudes fuck because I was like I'm finally home alone I can explore this now um but when the core came out it was like a huge problem so her hopping on the internet as a disabled character that wouldn't that wouldn't be as quick as it was there I think it would be cool if the character was disabled to see her attendant or her or her family member or her partner help her set that up I think as a disabled character that would be an important scene in 1998. So as the characters are getting to know each other and as because the whole movie is based around the internet, they send really pretentious emails to each other about like the sidewalks and the, and one of the characters' dogs and like how beautiful New York is in the fall and it's super like it's really gross. And kind of pretentious, but it has that Nora Ephron sensibility of it, where it's where it's like like masked and cute a little bit, so you don't notice how it is until you start like 
dissecting it like I was now for this. Um, <laughs> uh, what I appreciated about their pretension, though, and what I appreciated about the way that that was framed in the film is that many disabled people, due to disability and a, a marked lack of physicality, are tend to be, and correct me if I'm wrong, I could be wrong here, and I might get emails about how wrong I am, but um, ten, disabled people tend to be really wordy and flowery because physicality is not something we have access to. And like, I, don't know, I, I don't use my physicality, except for the fact that I have a giant dick, as a selling point, really. Um, but I can write, and I can speak, and I can use my words to create a to create a scene, so I am somebody, like, when I was a, when I'm courting somebody, I use a lot of, like, not big words, but I, I combine words together to come off dorky, and I play with language to make my point, so I felt this connected to disability a lot because, because of, of all the things I just said. Also, Tom Hanks' character, Joe Fox, has a beautiful golden retriever puppy in the movie named Brinkley. And I kept thinking that Brinkley, if this movie were centered around disabled characters and using disabled people as actors and all the things were occurring, I could see Brinkley as a, a guide dog or a service dog of some sort. And I kept seeing the dog in that role. There's For the poster of the movie, the poster is... Meg Ryan and Tom Hanks, like, embracing, and Brinkley off to the side, tugging at Meg Ryan's dress. And I kept thinking, every time I saw the poster, I was like, what, he should be wearing a, a service dog. A service dog sash. Is it a sash? A service dog. What is the thing that, I don't know what he's called, but he should be wearing one of those service dog signs because he would be a great service dog, and it would just, it would be a nice nod to disability, maybe. I had a tendency the whole time I was watching this film to want to make every scene incorporate disability because it never does. So when when I do these reviews, like when I did it, I did the same thing when I reviewed uh, Me Before You and, and other films. But because this film doesn't directly amplify disability in any way, really, I wanted every scene, if it were in my head, to be completely immersed in disability. So I had to like... When I was doing the review for this one, I had to like slow down and be like, no, 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 every scene doesn't have to directly relate to disability. That's okay because I, and I also, I had to remind, remind myself that my whole life, while it's really intertwined with disability, not everything I do is completely related to being disabled. Although, weird side note, I went to the store this morning to buy a toothbrush because I have, I have bought, I have bought, I just said bought, I don't think buttons word, I bought three toothbrushes this past week to try to find one that works for me because when you have limited dexterity, electric toothbrushes are really hard to use. So I went to the store to buy one and I'm not sure what the point of that story is, but but what I'm saying is disability is, inter is <coughs> disability is intertwined for me a lot. Um, so I had to remember when I was doing this review that this movie doesn't center around disability and every scene doesn't have to be directly related to being disabled. And also, this whole movie is kind of weird because both characters 
both central characters in this movie are seeing other people. And side note, if they were just polyamorous, they could see other people and it would be fine and not be weird. So I realized it was 98 and we weren't all as sexually, sexually enlightened as I think we think we are now. But polyamory would have been cool in this film. And I have suggestions for a remake that I'll talk about later. But polyamory is something that could have made this whole film obsolete. So then they do this big exposition scene where we see a lot of New York and we see both characters walking around and all that stuff happens and that's all great. And then during this scene, these this this like montage, they play the Cranberries and I watch it and just as a side note, I was like, oh, the lead singer of the Cranberries passed away recently and that like broke my heart because I was in love with them in the mid-90s and I would make out with a boy to the Cranberries any day. If any boy who says to me, like, hey, want to listen to, like, Linger or Zombie and then go fuck, I would be like, yes, I do. Songs I like to fuck to include the Cranberries, include also anything by Fleetwood Mac, but especially The Chain. I would have sex with that song. That shit's real. Uh, so, yeah, they do, they do a montage where we see New York and we see the characters, like, living their lives and day-to-day. Um, and then... We actually see a weirdly kind version of Dave Chappelle, who isn't being transphobic or homophobic. He's in the movie for, like, a few scenes. And it was weird, because in 98, I really liked him, but in 2018, I kind of hate him. It's weird. Uh, I see you, Dave Chappelle. Transphobia in your comedy is not cool, yo. Not cool. So then we head to Kathleen's store which is called shop around the corner and just visually it's a cute little new york like side shop it's really really tiny though and this will be really tough for anybody with a disability to enter or or to work there although when they do an interior shot of the of what is supposedly this place the countertops look low enough that a disabled person might be able to actually access or at least enter the space but it's all cluttered like It's a tiny little hobby bookshop, so it's not super accessible. Again, it was all about the New York experience, but if there were disabled characters, I would hope they would have considered that. Also, when Joe Fox, the competitor bookstore owner, is building building Fox Books, we see them building, but we don't see any mention of an elevator. If this was a disabled center movie. I'd like to see them talk more about the ADA and talk more about when they're building this big competition to shop around the corner, how it's going to be the most accessible bookstore in New York or something. Of course, they didn't do this here, but that, that would have been a great dream of mine for the film. So, like, 20 minutes into the movie, there's this whole scene where Kathleen is on her way somewhere, And she's writing a letter to Joe about something she did today. And she's on the subway and she sees a butterfly. This scene struck me immediately because if she were disabled, this scene would have been awesomely fun. And I put fun in quotes. Awesomely fun to film because of how many shitty delays or issues with the subways there tend to be for disabled people wherever subways are. Um, I can just see, like the disabled version of of Meg Ryan's character in this film and the director stopping and being like, okay, the elevator doesn't work. Uh, 
how are we gonna shoot this scene, Nora? What are we gonna do? Like I can just see them like, I can see the casting people trying to figure and the the production team trying to figure out how the fuck to shoot this scene. And the whole scene would be the character sitting in the subway being like, oh, can't get on today because my chair doesn't work or the elevator is down or like the the New York Metro transit system doesn't give a fuck about me. Like I could just see the character getting super mad and yelling at that butterfly. Because in the, in the movie, she's like, oh, I saw a butterfly on the subway. And I can just see her being like, fuck you, butterfly. Ableism is, is shitty. Like, I I would have loved to have seen something around disability if this was a disabled center movie on the subway. And side note about being disabled and trying to use the subway. I was on the subway a few weeks ago because I don't use the subway much anymore. I use the the disability transit because it's a lot easier for my chair but I went on the subway with some friends to go somewhere and the the gap between the platform and the subway wasn't level and my friend and I both of us almost fell out of our chairs coming off the gap so fuck you subway systems figure that shit out please that's part of accessibility too just putting an elevator in doesn't work anyway that's a whole other episode where I can yell about subways, but not here. But I mean, yeah, subways and disability are the fucking worst. Because they're never really accessible, and then dangerous things happen like that. So then there's a scene where both characters separately go into Starbucks and, and write to each other about how like ridiculous trying to order a Starbucks coffee is. And of course, given the the movements around straw bands right now and and if you follow me on social media you know how i feel about straw bands and how 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 disgustingly ableist they are towards disabled people so there's scenes where these two characters go into like a 98 starbucks to go get their their morning copies or whatever and they're doing voiceovers to each other about going to starbucks and what it means and blah blah and as I'm watching this scene, I was like, you know, I really would have liked a voiceover where the disabled version of this Kathleen Kelly character um, said to the barista, like, hey, I want to get my tall mocha frappuccino or whatever, but I need a straw. And the, char- the, the barista was like, actually, we don't do straws anymore because, you know, the environment and the turtles. And then I would have loved to have seen, like, the character go off and the voiceover talk about how ridiculous that is. Also, I would have loved to have seen something in the movie about accessible options. So even if Kathleen Kelly's store, the, the shop around the corner, wasn't necessarily accessible around the corner, I would love to have seen her say something like, if this movie, again, if this movie would center disabled voices and did in a perfect world, I would love to have for them to have said something like, you know, oh, we you can't get in, but at least we'll, you know, give you... We'll give you, we'll, we'll, we'll get you, we'll courier your books to you or something. Um, if this was a disabled movie, I would hope they would do that. And then, so at some point during the movie, the, Kathleen and Joe end up at a party together. And Joe kind of starts like, Joe sort of realizes that, Joe realizes early on that it's Kathleen. Not that he's talking to, but he realizes early on that, that, he's that she's someone he's interested in and he kind of like stalks her a little bit 
and he like looks he watches her and looks after her and does all the things if she was disabled and if she was somebody with a marked especially a visible disability but even so with an invisible disability the way he kind of creeps around her would make him the weirdest most uncomfortable devotee ever if you watch this movie with a disability like justice lens it becomes so many levels of creepy i can't even tell you And so they're at this party together and Joe's girlfriend comes up and starts talking about what drug she uses to sleep. And she they call it like, um, I can't remember, but it's not, it was some like made up brand name. And so I just, as she's talking about this drug, I thought of, um, I thought of actually, I thought of recent guest Rachel Rose, who talked in our episode about, you know, drug interactions and things like that. I talked, I I envisioned a moment in this movie where if it was a disability-centered film, we would talk about the interactions of drugs and how that affects disability and all that stuff. It would be a really positive kind of scene. Of course, that would never happen, but it is. that's where my brain went. There's, so, like, I would love to see... I would have loved to have seen something like that there, but, of course, we didn't, but that's what I would love to have seen. I'm going to be saying that a lot throughout this episode, and I have done already, I know, sorry, but... That's what happens when the movie doesn't doesn't employ disability and you're trying to put disability in there or wish that it was. There's a lot more to come on this episode of Disability After Dark, but first, we're going to play some ads from our awesome sponsor and some great listeners. So, we'll do that and we'll be right back on Disability After Dark, the podcast shining light on sex and disability with your host, Andrew Gerza. Hi, I'm Pam Murphy, and I'm listening to Disability After Dark, the podcast, shining a bright light on sex and disability. This episode of Disability After Dark has been brought to you by the worker owners of Come As You Are. Come As You Are has the peculiar distinction of being the world's only worker-owned cooperative sex shop. With feminist and anti-capitalist values, Come As You Are only carries sexuality products that they truly believe in at the lowest price possible. Get free shipping at www.comeasyouare.com using coupon code AFTERDARK. And we're back. I want to thank Come As You Are for being an amazing sponsor. I want to thank, uh, I want to thank all of you for sending in your listener ads and just saying you listen to the show. If you want to do one, remember, and you want to support um, doing that, you can send a voice memo to disabilityafterdark at gmail.com and just send me a 20-second clip about what the show means for you, why the show's important, what it's done for you, and I will put it on the show during our ad breaks. But thank you. And now let's get back to my review of You've Got Mail if it had a, if it had a disabled lead character right now on Disability After Dark. So, when Joe Fox finally suggests that the two characters who have been AOL emailing throughout this whole movie finally meet each other, and all of this is played out in, in like, screenshots of, of typed-out prose, I picture Kathleen Kelly sitting there in her, in her mobility device trying to find ways to tell him she's disabled. And I love the idea of the scene being centered around disability because we see it all typed out in... in 
in disabled screenshot or screenshots rather. So I can just imagine her text on the screen to him before she hit send being like, um, so I want to tell you that I'm disabled. And then she would delete it a bunch of times and she would like, she'd sit there and you could see her, the words being typed out again. Like I am, I, uh, I, so if I were to tell you that I was a disabled person, how would you, and then you could see her like frantically del deleting it again and retyping it. I can just see, like, that would be a great way to, again, another nod to disability because when so many of us are trying to to come out as disabled online, that's what happens to us when we're, when we're talking to partners. I have deleted and rewritten, like, one sentences of how I'm going to disclose my disability online a million times, and this would be a perfect, like, romantic comedy disability trope. Also, as I was watching the movie, I noticed that Sarah Ramirez and Chris Messina of Grey's Anatomy and Mindy Kaling fame made, like, small, brief appearances in this movie, and uh, it just, like, warmed my heart, because I was like, oh, Sarah Ramirez is, is, like, hugely queer, and I love her, and Chris Messina would go on to star in The Mindy Project as a romantic, com romantic comedy lead, uh, so... I and it just because Mindy, Mindy, Mindy Lahuri in that movie in that show would probably watch You've Got Mail. It just was hilariously fitting when I watched it because I, I basically feel like Mindy Kaling and I would be best friends. Maybe I don't know, but I I do want to be her best friend. That's it's a it's a thought I've had more than once. Mindy Kaling, if you want to write a uh, disability centric romantic comedy, let me know. Hey. Okay, so back to the thing. There are, are so many scenes in this movie where Joe Fox, Tom Hanks, is giving her, is giving Kathleen Kelly's character advice on how to live her life, on what to do, on all the things. And I think that if she were disabled, he would be telling her not only advice, but he would be capping off the advice with just how inspirational she is and just how beautiful she was and just how great everything would be because she's disabled and can do no wrong and like I don't think he would be putting into her straight and I just picture him giving her like ableist advice because she was disabled so then about 45 minutes in she offers to meet him to, to meet again finally and he says yes and then he stands her up, and there's a scene where she's sitting in the coffee shop by herself. And that scene struck me because I was like, oh, fuck. If she was a disabled character, this would fit, like, way too close to home. Because how many of us with disabilities have gone to a coffee shop or gone to go meet somebody for a date and had them be like, oh, had them, like, text us as we're there or on our way? Being like, oh, sorry. Like, I can't imagine how many people before, like, cell phones were a thing, how many people with disabilities went to go meet somebody and got stood up because of ableism and then didn't get to, didn't know because nobody bothered to call you back. So, hey, if you are a person from a time when cell phones were not a thing yet and you want to share stories of romantic ableism, send them in for a Minnesota. I want to hear this shit of like when you were trying to 
go on dates and you got stood up and nobody, like, nobody called you or nobody said anything or you found out later that it was because you were disabled, but you didn't have a text to, like, figure that out. I want to hear this stuff in a Minnesota. Tell me your most worst ableism date stories in a Minnesota. And you can send that to disabilityafterdark at gmail.com. I will be waiting for these Minnesotes because I think that shit's important. I want to hear from a time when it wasn't just accessible to block and, and like, swipe left. I want to hear when you went out went out to go get ready for a date and somebody just was an ableist fuckbag and didn't show up. That narrative's important, I think. So, send that shit in for a minisode. And then immediately following that scene, there's a scene where Joe's in an elevator and nothing really, like, romantical happens here, but he's in the elevator by himself with a dog, and the elevator breaks down, and I just kind of chuckled, because I was like, again, if this movie had a disabled narrative, if the elevator broke, it would be, he would be like, well, that happened again, like, it's a Tuesday. It would just be funny to see the characters, like, figuring out, like, disability in a, in a big, sweeping, romantic comedy like that. And so the movie goes on and on like this for a while with like the back and forth like 90s romantic tropes that are happening all the, all the way through. And then at one point near the end, he, Joe goes over to Kathleen's apartment and he buzzes up and she goes, I'm sick, go away. And I kind of liked the scene because I thought, you know what, she's sick. This is a perfect narrative to discuss ableism and patriarchy and stuff she asks him to be left alone but of course in classic romantic comedy way he's like fuck you i'm barging in which now would just be considered major toxic masculinity by the way uh he pushes his way in to help she says she's sick and she wants him to go away and he's like no i'm coming in of course i i'd love to see the disabled character say no i'm having a disability related day please go away i do that all the time and there's power in being like, no, I'm, I'm feeling super disabled today. I don't want to see you and deal with your thinly veiled ableism. And if this was a disabled film, I hoped that she would have done that. Of course, she lets him in because the story has to progress that way. She lets him in to her apartment. Um, and the whole time through, again, I'm looking at the apartment of the disabled person. It's so tiny New York. There's no way she could probably live there. Aside from the fact that it's a brownstone with five million stairs, there's no way she could actually like get around in that apartment if she were anybody with any kind of mobility device. A wheelchair, a cane, a walker, none of that would work in these in this scene in these apartments. And then there's a really cute part where she's putting away Kleenex and she's putting away all the things so he can't see he he can't see that she's sick just before he gets up to the apartment. And I thought, again, this would be a great way to punctuate disability because I don't know how many times before guys come over to my house to suck my dick or to hang out with me or to get to know me, I've hidden particular things around disability to, like, soften the blow a little bit of how disabled I am. And I think that if this character were disabled, that would have been a really kind of funny, brilliant thing to do. Mindy Kaling, I'm basically writing this story for you. Call me and let's figure this out. So then he leaves her and they, they leave each other and they start typing to each other without knowing 
that each other is each other. And at this point, she's like, I want to meet you. I would love to meet you. Let's go meet. And I thought it would be really awesome if the character at this point, if they were disabled, um, kind of owned their disability and was like, by the way, I'm disabled. If you can't deal with that, whatever. But here it is. I would have loved to have seen her like growth in that way had she been a disabled character. And then they meet up as friends before us still somehow, before they know who each other is. The The whole narrative doesn't make sense, but for some reason they meet up as friends, Joe and her. I'm not sure exactly how they became friends in such a short time, but okay. Um, so they meet up in New York and they go around. And again, had Kathleen Kelly been disabled, I would have loved to have seen her and Joe navigate ableism and disability together around New York. Like I, I haven't yet seen a romantic comedy montage where one character has a disability and the other doesn't, and then they both have to deal with ableism around that. That would be something so cool to see played out in, like, a New York City montage. Um, and I would have loved to have seen that with um, the Meg Ryan and Tom Hanks characters, for sure. Like, I don't know, Tom Hanks' character realizing, oh, she can't go here, so let's try this place, or she can't go over here, let's try this place, or she has a sensitive... She has, sensory disabilities so we can't go in that shop or I sh at, at one point in when she's sick he brings her flowers I'd love to her to say like hey I have a sensory disability I can't you can't bring me those thanks like I it would have been really like not to belabor the point but to make to make a point of disability in a film like that would be really cool and so finally like Finally, somehow, it's it comes out that they're each other, and they like go properly go to meet each other. Oh yeah, he can he, I think realizes it's her first. Oh yeah, he realizes it's her first over the typing, and then he lures her out on a date as friends, and then she goes to like go get ready for her date with the mystery guy, and it ends up being him. It's so cheesy, but it was totally the jam in '98, and so. In my disabled brain, what I would love to have seen in this scene is for her to, to wheel up to him and be like, oh, I, I'm so happy it was you. But then be like, actually, I realized that I'm okay. And I'm going to be disabled, single, and proud. And thanks for that little game you played. And thanks for maybe some, like, decent sex. But I'm out. Like, And I, I keep picturing her, like, wheeling away in a mobility device being like, bye, Joe. I'm cool. Thanks, though. Peace. Like... And that's how the disabled version of that movie ends. But so, yeah, that's my take on what the, the 1998 classic, You've Got Mail, might look like if we had disabled characters. Um, send me ideas for other movies around romance and disability you think I should review. Send me... Romantic comedies that don't have disabled leads that maybe should, and we can do another one like this. Um, that's really, that's the episode right there. Hope you enjoyed episode 101, and we'll talk to you next week. Also, big thanks to our Patreon supporters. If you want to get, and you'll hear this in the stinger in a minute, but if you want to get episodes early, and you want to be a part of the up-and-coming uh, chapter porno thing I want to do with re with, respe with respect to disability, Criprotica is what I want to call it maybe, um, then sign up, patreon.com 
slash cripple content because you help this show go and I appreciate that so much. So thanks for listening and we'll see you again next week. Alright, so that's another episode of Disability After Dark, the podcast shining a bright light on sex and disability. I'm, of course, your host, Andrew Gerza. Thank you so much for listening and being a part of this. If you want to follow my work, you can head on over to www.andrewgerza.com or follow me on Twitter at Andrew Gerza. You can also follow the Disability After Dark podcast on Twitter by following DisAftDarkPod. You can also follow our Facebook page, facebook.com slash disabilityafterdark. It would also be super awesome if you could leave a five-star review wherever you get your podcasts so more people can hear about the show. And if you are able and want to support the show, you can do so by heading over to patreon.com slash cripple content. This way we can do, do things like get better equipment, you help me make a living doing this thing. You help support content made but made by and for people with disabilities. So I can't thank you enough. And you can pledge whatever you can and as little as $1 a month to make it as financially accessible as possible. Thanks for listening and we'll talk to you again next time right here on Disability After Dark. Copyright Notice Disability After Dark was presented, created, and produced by Andrew Gerza and Crippled Content Creations, with music by Chris Udiuchi. Any and all materials, including graphics, audio recordings, and music, are property of the owner and cannot be used or distributed without express permission. Copyright, Crippled Content Creations, 2018.